As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. As we are moving through this pandemic, at the early phase of the pandemic, we had house party. Many of us use it to keep in contact with our friends and it's quite funny and that died. And now we have the emergence of the application Clubhouse, which is a bit different as Clubhouse is focused more on discussions and you get a range of things there. I was quite fortunate to be in a room, in a Clubhouse room the other day, and I saw this young man, Tyler Green, speaking. And I thought to myself, Nah, this guy sounds lit. This guy sounds so interesting. Then I later find out that this guy is 18 years old. So I need to ask you, bro, what's in your water? What are you drinking? What's making you so lit? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I've been. It's been Poland Spring for the past like week or so. So yeah, the water's definitely been normal. But I think it's just the. The things that I've been coming across in, in dialogue and research, I think. So let's talk about that. In all seriousness, what radicalized you? Because just for context, guys, Tyler is someone who is a freshman. And you got to tell me, to, you know, what it is? I hear this all the time. And I sound, I like to sound dope and so woke when I hear these terms. But what mm-hmm. are they? Yeah, freshman, sophomore, sophomore, junior, and a senior. Like, bro, what's that, man? Why are you, America's got to complicate everything for? <laughs> there always has to be some unnecessary level of hierarchy. You know that. Exactly. <laughs> America is definitely very particular about making sure that there's, you know, levels to everything. And so, uh, yes, I'm a freshman and I'm actually the- At Morehouse? Yes, yes, yes. At Morehouse College. Yeah. And, in, and what is Morehouse? Tell it for our listeners. So Morehouse specifically is an HBCU, Historically mm-hmm. Black College University. Mm-hmm. It was founded in 1867, and since its founding, mm-hmm. it's always been a principal pillar, actually the one institution in the world dedicated to building men, particularly black men, okay. to be leaders in not just society, but the greater world at large and be men of service. And there's a strong emphasis on brotherhood at this institution wow. as well. And so it's it's definitely a it's a pillar for the black community, specifically in America, but it also mm-hmm. exemplifies some of the great things that black men do throughout the world. Wow. So what's it like going to HBCU? I mean, I, I know this year is a bit different considering <laughs> that the COVID restrictions, but what's it like? Or why would someone opt to go to an HBCU? What does it do for a black man <laughs> or black person? Sorry. Yes. So two things. One, although it's been different and my entire semester was really online and I, I didn't even yeah. get to go on campus until after wow so no parties no parties unfortunately unfortunately wow. i'm not even a party person but you know just i knew you're gonna in, say that you're too busy yeah. reading books in it <laughs> why are you why, no, let's not let's not front for the viewers yeah it's okay you can tell me the truth it's okay <laughs> <laughs> oh lord <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it sucks not being able to you know actually engage in conversation or just like be around, you know, my Morehouse brothers or my Spelman sisters. We have a sister school and we oh, have wow. several other schools around us in um, what's called the AUC. So, so I do have, 
I do have to ask you then, you know the movies that we see where it's like, I'm a Kappa, I'm an Alpha, <laughs> and you have like initiations. Are, are those real? Are those real? Yes, but I can't speak about it. As a freshman, again, you know, as a freshman, you can't speak about them. It's a cult. It is a... Oh, oh, oh no, oh no. I didn't is say... There, I didn't blood say you did. involved? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. It, it's different depending on which organization and these are greek organizations depending on which yeah specifically of the divine nine right these are historically black mm-hmm. depending on which you know there's an h word that i don't think i'm allowed to speak on but it sounds similar to amazing right but with an h <laughs> and that is different okay. i'm assuming in each organization my grandfather is actually an omega sci-fi and okay he went to lincoln university which is another historically black college and he was branded, like literally, they took oh, like oh. hot iron and branded him. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm assuming things are different, but it may not be. Again, I'm not, you know, this is beyond my my status in the hierarchy. So you're not branded yet? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. That's good to know. That's good to know. But no, in all seriousness, let's go down to it, man. Again, I'm, I reminded my viewers that, listen, when I came across this super dope individual, I was just left so impressed in the way he spoke. So I want to just like kind of what radicalized you, what goes yeah. into making you who you are today? First and foremost, thank you so much for the praise. It's, 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 I really do appreciate it. And I, you know, to get into what radicalized me, I would say that it was a specific book, but I would rather say okay. that it was a series of events. I think okay. if you take me last year in the same, mm-hmm. you know, on December 26th, 2019, my only concern yeah was not just ensuring that I had, you know, options for college, but also my only concern was really the financial aspect of life Mm. and what monies I could secure in my last few months of being a senior in high school. I've worked every single year throughout my high school period. And I even started a few companies and on campus and off campus. And so I was very, all of the decisions that I made leading up to this point was based upon some financial calculus. I Everything had this, mm-hmm. you know, what is the effect on my wallet, right? How much more money could mm-hmm. I accrue, right? What does this look like? And so for me, it was the beginning of COVID. So what mm-hmm. I have to ask you then, with mm-hmm. that being your primary motivation at that time, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna link it to what we're talking about shortly, what we'll go into, what was your position when it comes to, let's say, matters of race at that time? Mm-hmm. Or what was your outlook on those matters at that time? So definitely very different from where it is right now. I attended a predominantly white Catholic Jesuit high school. And so it... Uh, What what are you telling me that you can't dance? Oh, no. Oh, I can dance. Let's not not get it twisted. I'm Caribbean, okay? Um, (laughs) You know? (laughs) But, you know, it it was definitely... They couldn't dance. Let's just put it that way. Okay, Um, cool. And it was, I, I was, I was also the vice president of the Ebony club there, which was the, essentially okay. some schools have like a black student union or, you know, that's essentially what it was just a club for yeah. all of the black and, you know, students to come together and share culture and experience. Yeah, so what, what, what we have in the UK, we call it, we call it in the UK, ACS, African, mm. Afro-Caribbean society. Ooh. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. Yes. But yeah, carry on. But yeah, so, you know, it's something along the lines of that. And so we did have moments throughout our school year 
in which we were able mm -hmm. to actually express ourselves. But because I was around and surrounded by so much non-black culture, right, and non yeah. and culture that I couldn't identify with, I felt disconnected from not only the culture of my people, but the needs of my people as well. And so mm. because I was so invested in myself and trying to procure investments for myself going down the line, I became yeah. very individualistic in all of my activities. And so it very much did disconnect me from not only wow. the suffering of my people. And also I, I would go on to say that this this institution kind of bred a lot of individuals, particular those of the non-black category that were yeah. conservatively minded, right? They that's that's super interesting. You know why? Yeah. Because if I go on, let's say if I go on TikTok, for example, and right? I, I, I don't want to use TikTok as a, a, an example, but I feel like again, it gives you some more of an insight into the minds of people. If I mm -hmm. go into those spaces where you know where Gen Z hang out, I don't know. I think I'm like part millennial, part Gen Z, but I'm trying to be <laughs> down with the kids these days. So <laughs> when I go into those spaces and I see black people speaking about no BLM is this and BLM is this, it's a Marxist organization and BLM mm. is actually anti-black and the Democrats want to keep us down and this and that and this and that. Especially from Americans. I go onto that page and then go onto their Instagram and lo and behold, they're the only black person with, amongst the, all their friends. This mm. is almost always, mm. almost always. Or like, you know, have a, a white spouse, for example. It's almost always. I'm like, mm, well, I guess your experience of, is clearly having a weight on how you see the world and how you interpret things. So naturally, well, you, of you course. might see BLM. Yeah, you might, you will see BLM as a divisive organization, possibly, because you're like, hang on a minute, my experience is fine. So my question is then, given what you just told me, and I'm kind of building the image and picture of your kind of upbringing through high school, how did you turn to what you are now? So it's very, I, I think you brought up a very good point, a very important point, right? As we find ourselves kind of, quote unquote, integrated into the society that is inherently structurally anti-Black, not just historically mm -hmm. and the residuum, but perpetuation of certain policies and actions and what's tolerable mm -hmm. in the media. And so I think that a picture has been painted, but it's proliferated when you are that individual, that only Black person with no other Black person to yeah. reassure, oh my gosh, this is wrong. Right. And so mm. your natural because your natural inclination due to your environment is to assimilate not only into yes. these ideals because they surround you now and it surrounded me when I was in high school, but also this culture of whiteness, which is the antithesis mm -hmm. of blackness. And so you will say things and take stances on things that you typically, you know, would be very against if you had known your historical you know, roots and how your ancestors exactly. chat were challenged. And so for me, my going back to that idea of radicalization, mine was very much so this process. It was very much so I began reading. This year was the very first year that I have finished a nonfiction book since I'd say about fourth grade. Wow. And since then I've finished several other books. I, I don't I don't I lost count. But in the in okay, the beginning, okay. flex on us, flex on us. <laughs> um, I know, but it's it's really progress for me personally because yeah, no, I feel as though without this fundamental understanding of our historical progress, right, and also mm -hmm. the just stripping of our culture, it's necessary for that reconnection to be developed and then our liberation to be achieved. And so, the very first book that I read back in March 
right? The month mm-hmm. on March 13th, everything shut down. And so because I was yep. given so much time to not only finesse my way through my high school classes online, but also <laughs> pick up other things that I've been neglecting for years. And so I didn't procrastinate and I went straight into it. I read The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Mm-hmm. That was the very first book that I finished. And so it it really did unveil many realities about the way that we are not only indoctrinated here in America, but mm. the ways that we're socialized in America and the ways that we aid in sometimes and participate either involuntarily or voluntarily in our own assimilation, our own cultural you know, deviations. And so it really did spark a flame. And so it was between that and another experience, which may be hard to visualize for some, but I was on Instagram and one of my friends who is a videographer actually mm-hmm. dropped a piece of content in which it showed the music was taken from the soundtrack of a film that was recently dropped. It was called Queen and Slim. I think it was maybe oh, a yeah, year yeah. Or a ago. Awesome and film. I- Awesome. And when I tell you, oh my gosh. And there was this song that was playing in the background of this video that was on Instagram. And the video was just showing this progression of Black people and our struggle in America and how we haven't stopped fighting. And, you know, it was... It was literally just that audio and you kept hearing the words, can't keep running, can't keep running, can't keep running away. And it's mm-hmm. it just, it really did shake me up at my root. And it and since then I've been rediscovering our roots to fully come mm-hmm. to terms with our you know situation in America and how we can't stop running and we have to keep running. And the, the and question this, how then, as an interjection mm-hmm. then, how then did you marry what you saw as an analysis in those books to your personal lived experience mm. because a lot of people will say and me act, me acting as a proxy a lot of people will say that well those things are what what takes of the past for example you know a lot mm. of you find a lot of black <laughs> people who deny the experience the majority they will say these things are like of the past and whilst i think their takes are a historical anyway but this is what they will say they will say that those things are the things of the past you know we've moved on we're in 2020 now we have mm. better race relations now so my question is given your personal experience how did you marry what you were reading to what what was uh, your lived experience well first and foremost i don't think that i personally married it but i think that there will always be an intertwining of the past and the you know and the present. I actually don't think that there is a past. I really? think it's just a compilation of multiple presents that of have course. culminated and brought us to the present that we exist within. And so I, I think that for me personally, because I definitely would consider myself someone who envisions things. Mm-hmm. And so as I step throughout these readings, I'm I'm not just listening to what others are saying. And while the context, the historical context is necessary, I think we also have to be very multi-contextual and bridge the gaps between the past and the present in order to understand the present. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, I recently read Black Skin, White Masks by Frantz Fanon. And yeah. several of the psychological complexes and several of the conditions in which he found himself Mm -hmm. and he analyzed several case studies of his so individuals Mm -hmm. like men from martinique who would live in france and then come back you know he it was just the way that he described his environment 
that made it so congruent with our current disposition, yeah. whether or not it's something that's popularized. Because I, I definitely believe that although we may not see the blatant forms of racism, right, the, the Ku Klux Klan is hiding, uh, you know, we yeah. have several groups that are not actually as openly adamant because they know that they will be faced with public backlash. But the, not only residuum, but the proliferation of these ideologies under new guises is very real. And so Absolutely. the way that I kind of marry both these historical texts, but these very present and modern texts, because they are essential to understanding who and what we are, is just by opening my eyes or raising my head above the book. Because mm. as soon as you raise your head above the book, you will be able to see so many direct comparisons and just analyzing the way that we think and the way that I see others in my community exemplify these inferiority complexes, right? And the Absolutely. way that the, the hierarchy still stands. So although things may have changed on a very interpersonal level, the institutions themselves yeah. haven't changed. They've only been amended to or new names, right? New euphemisms mm -hmm. have been brought in place to kind of change the way that we think about the systems, right? And so the systems themselves hasn't changed. And so that reflects something about the times that we live in and how they haven't changed from when these books were written. So that's kind of how I marry the two and keep and make sure that I'm infusing my thoughts and actions with those texts as well. Thank you so much for that beautiful explanation and that beautiful personal explanation. So my question then is, okay, cool. So lockdown happens, pandemic outbreak, then we have your awakening, yeah? Mm. So yes. you have your awakening now. And then at this point in time, are you already planning to go to Morehouse? Or you already, oh no, you're already in Morehouse, isn't it? So it's actually funny. My awakening, uh, <laughs> I had already committed to Morehouse. I had already committed to Morehouse as a computer science major, right? And okay. a lot changed <laughs> as a result of this awakening mm -hmm. because I was actually guaranteed essentially a full ride to any university of choice, which is why I chose Morehouse because I wanted to be comfortable amongst others. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I am going to tell any black student listening to this, the yeah. biggest argument besides actually going to homecoming, which is this tradition for essentially all HBCUs where at some point, you know, around the fall, there is a bringing together of all generations, past, present, and possibly future of HBCU students to oh, their wow. schools. And, you know, it's just this cultural, it's, it's beautiful. And I got to experience that with my father and it was definitely an inflection point for me. But more so, if I were mm -hmm. to tell any student looking at an HBCU this, you have the rest of your life until a new reality is formed to live as a minority right, within not only your country, but also this Anglosphere. And so yeah. I definitely would encourage you to take some time to connect with your brothers and sisters, because our, there are very few and far between opportunities for you to do so going forward. And it's important to, gr and to root yourself before you engage in the means of life. Wow, but, that's interesting. But and I, you said, by the way, mm -hmm. just for context, Morehouse is an all boys, is it all boys? College? Yes. Yes, and my my guess oh, what wow. my, my high school was all boys too. 
And so, you know, oh, wow. many people find it confusing as to why I would subject myself to <laughs> another four years of just men. Hey, man, we're in, we're 20, we're in 2020, man. I'm love what you... No, I'm just joking. I'm just yeah. playing with you. I'm just playing with you. <laughs> no, it's, um, you know, I'm going to be I'm honest with you. Too. And this is another thing for men. I, I definitely believe that it's very important to engage with, in high school, I was, I, I'm not going to lie. I definitely did, even though I was at a predominantly male institution, at any moment, I was definitely chasing women. Okay. I was definitely chasing. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> but being in these spaces, it's kind of disciplined myself. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. But yes. also, the greatest thing is that we also have a sister school. But nonetheless, right? And <laughs> nonetheless, this experience has definitely been something different that I definitely would encourage to as many brothers as possible. Really? Okay. Yes. Yes. But it, but I definitely would, going back to the radicalization in this period, you know, I, I started as a computer science major and I had a scholarship mm-hmm. that was contingent upon me staying a computer science major. Oh. But I was actually supposed to perform a test on March 16th to solidify yeah. this scholarship. And unfortunately, or fortunately rather, because I love where I am right now, and I, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm going towards a true rightful destination. But yeah, unfortunately, March 13th, right, three days before I was supposed to take the test, we enter COVID. And so the test was canceled. Mm-hmm. So the scholarship was canceled. And so, but this was after wow. I committed. So I was going through a whole, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have any money for Morehouse. I don't have, what am I going to decommit? Am I going to, you know, should yeah. I choose a, a better school that's good for computer science? Should I, you know? And so this entire experience for me really developed. And this awakening came out of a place of utter chaos. And it mm-hmm. really showed to me the relativity of life. And this is something that is so important I think for the for just black liberation as a whole, the relativity of life and the possibility that it's always there for change because change is the only thing that's constant. And if we ever want to claim the future that's rightfully ours, right, we need to actually mm-hmm. work towards that change that's not only substantive but structural, you know? Absolutely. And so it was Absolutely. it was Absolutely. It, Absolutely. Very what beautifully said by Angela Davis. Sorry to cut you off there, bro. Mm. As Angela Davis says, you know, one main one will never know when the conditions for radical change will arise, and that's why you must always stay like you know engaged, basically. And I find yes. I think that's very positive, considering from Angela Davis, who's you know she's a hero, you know, a queen. someone who's been doing this for so long, a queen. She's been doing this for so long. Literally, she says that you know stay engaged, stay active. So when the conditions arise for active change, you never know what that catalyst may be. And yes, I. I Obviously, she was speaking in the context of activism and, and, and radical change in terms of society. But also, I think that's, that could also be applied to your personal life. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So please carry on. Yeah. So, okay. so carry on. Tell me your journey. Yes. And, and, and so from then, just realizing how, how often change occurs, it became quintessential for me to understand how we interpersonally can create change. Mm-hmm. And I engaged yeah. in several bouts of activism, even in COVID. My mom and mm-hmm. several members of my family are at risk. And so I definitely, that, that was quelled very easily, but mm-hmm. I definitely found other ways by which I could do the work, right? Doing the work of yeah. coping with all of the facts about this reality that was construed to our you know detriment and so for me 
going through several, you know, readings, but also writing. I began to write a lot, mm-hmm. um, several essays. Just sometimes terms will just come up in my head and I'll just think of like, what are my thoughts on this? And then I'll start writing about it. Wow. So I just started developing prompts for myself and doing self-uncovery because I think that what's really important, not just, we can consume a lot of information. And the way that I approach any literature is a memoir. I think all, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, these are all memoirs because the person that's documenting it is infusing this from their perspective. And so, Mm -hmm. or at least the perspective of others before them. And so for me, I'm looking at this as I'm learning from other individuals, right? Dead teachers, as Mortimer Adler would say it, but I'm also using my own personal moral code that's constantly being decrypted as I align myself with some of the values in these texts, in these videos, mm-hmm. in these discussions, right? And so it's, you know, and, and I developed a lot of, from my knowledge of things that go on, I really like to bring tangible outcomes to some of the things that I do introspectively. So after reading Carter G. Woodson's book, uh, The Miseducation of the Negro, immediately conceived this idea for a program, an initiative that would essentially collectivize all of the, and, and I'm, I'm working to make this a mandatory thing at Morehouse, but it would collectivize artistic expression from each student, particularly on the Black experience or rather their Black experience, right? And so every student would write a poem, make a sculpture, make a painting, write an essay on some facet of the Black experience that they write. And, and we would bring that together into uh, portfolio-based packages and then disseminate that amongst ourselves, but also towards hopefully students in public schools as a supplement to their, you know, indoctrination. <laughs> That's something that I am working on right now to develop. And that was just one of the ideas that I got from reading these texts. So I think that it's important for others that maybe want to make other change. And once they realize the change that needs to be made, it's in infusing some of your ideas um, or giving yourself the space to really envision and be a visionary of change as well. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. So what I would then say is, so it's interesting how you have your awakening, you have, you know, you're going through this trans- period of transformation and then kind of the George Floyd incident happens. So what hap- what's going through your mind at that time or what's, you know, what's your actions on the ground as it were? That was the day, two days before George Floyd occurred, two days before George, uh, before I gained notice of what had happened to George Floyd, I had actually started an Instagram and just social media purge, right? A cleanse in a okay. sense. I okay. deactivated my socials. I just needed some time. But then I got a call from one of my friends, you know, since a youth and he asked me, did I hear what happened? And I said, no, right? And so he sent mm-hmm. me that video, that eight minutes and 46 seconds yeah. video that was devastating. It, was, it, was, it wasn't new. It wasn't something that was a familiar, but it was nonetheless devastating. Mm-hmm. And I know for many, it wasn't. I know for many, it was just another piece of content that you know, appeared down their timeline something that possibly a Sean King would post on his Instagram. But for me, it was something that I knew change needed to happen upon. And I just, I just needed to take a second to just understand how this was possible. 
what what were the conditions that you know i'm definitely not a person who will just jump to something as soon as i hear or see about it i definitely let things take their time because something as monumental or as pivotal as george floyd's death and the response that occurred it deserved time and it deserved a, a marinating, right? And it deserved mm-hmm. an understanding of what really is going on here. Is this an isolated incident or have we been seeing this all, all along? And how can we actually do something? And so from there, I began engaging with several activists in my area. I started mm-hmm. being invited to protests, many of which I couldn't attend because once again, my family is at risk. I began writing speeches for certain people who would go to vigils. And Mm -hmm. so I I found some way out of no way to actually do something about the situation that felt meaningful to me. And, And it was just, this was just another part of that radicalization, right? Understanding that once again, this is not an isolated event. This is something that is a structural issue. It's something that is not just intertwined with the perception of the black man in America, the, oh, this, this, this $20 bill must be counterfeit. I will call the police. Mm -hmm. The police will then brutalize Mm -hmm. this man and murder him. But this isn't an indictment on the individual, but rather the systems that gave rise, the systems that have impoverished us, the systems that have created this false narrative of us that is perpetuated not only in media, but in interpersonal relations. The system that has given rise to state-sanctioned violence and allows for police to go unwarrantedly into these spaces and not only, you know, enforce their their authoritarianism, but exemplify it and make it popular and make it something that's normalized. Right, right. And so this entire culture that we live in, that we specifically as Black people, specifically Black people in America, this punitive, this police state that we live within, right? We don't go to state legislatures when there's problems. The democracy does not work for us and it never has and it never will, this quote unquote democracy. We go to the same people that end up brutalizing us. We may call 911 for something that's going on across the street or to another individual, but instead they may come to us. And so this is something that it took a lot for me to understand what was really underneath because this police officer, right? The the store clerk. Mm-hmm. These people are just perpetuating facets of the system. And it's important mm-hmm. for us to really understand the actual system itself, right? I, I, I'm starting to not so much, although I have great disdain towards the proliferation and perpetuation of these systems by any individual, yes. whether you know, you're black or not, right? Black mm-hmm. capitalism is still capitalism, right? And so exactly. for me, it's understanding what are the structural issues here, but also mm-hmm. understanding not to hate the players so much, but to hate the game. Absolutely. I think that's an extremely poignant point. I mean, Dr. Cornel West often says that, you know, I hate greed. I hate predatory capitalism. I hate patriarchy. However, the ideas in which these, these that the people in which these ideas filter through, I don't have the same hatred to them. And, mm-hmm. I, and to be fair, I'll be honest with you, that's a very difficult position to get to. Yes. Because, you know, I see, I see people who espouse, you know, some abhorrent views and espouse the most, you know, distasteful sentiments. I'm like, mm, I, I want to hate you. But, you know, kind of seeing the bigger picture here, you know, the Ben Shapiro's and all these people on the right and, you know, these neoconservative uh, thinkers. And I use, I use the word 
think thinkers uh, lightly <laughs> or <jokingly. laughs> no these thinkers you know these thinkers uh, quote unquote thinkers uh-huh. or grifters is more, more appropriate you find these mm. people that you know you're like okay you know I, I get it you lot are serving an audience you lot have your own interests you lot again I think it's a shame because of, they do so much damage but yes. ultimately my anger needs to be and, and distaste, disdain needs to be directed to the institutes and the system yes. behind that, that kind of yes. births these people and births these ideas. Okay, cool. So let's move on slightly a little bit. You have something called the COVID classroom. What's mm-hmm. that about? So actually in April, around this time period of the Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. the, the death of George Floyd, I felt it necessary to bring together a collective of students because again, we you know we were not only finessing our way through school, but we essentially had no school, and we had no way to connect mm-hmm. with one another besides you know social media, which was just being dumped with misinformation about the current times. And so, I felt it necessary to create a space where we could have conversation and several conversations yeah. about the things that are going on right now, and also hopefully come to certain conclusions about the situation, and that and therefore yeah. you know change the situation. And so starting in April and ever since then, you know, we've been holding and hosting discussions on several different platforms. We began to engage with also other generations, right? And scholars like Mm -hmm. Mark Lamont Hill and other individuals just in different aspects of not only culture, but also just the environment and so we've just been developing thought around there. But we've also It's online, yeah? Yes, it's on completely online, right? Because again, and there was people no from all over the world get involved. All over the world, we've had individuals from the Caribbean, individuals from Europe. Brilliant. I'm going to put some people from the UK on it. I'm going to put some, yes. from, some of my young people from the UK. I'll get them involved. Yes, that's amazing. Because truly, it's it's important to have multiplicity in just thought, or else exactly. we're we're, not, we're only going to you know arrive to not only the same conclusions but the same conditions that we're in right now. Exactly. So, it's been a great, it's been a truly great experience to engage in conversation. We're actually doing a little bit more than that as well now. We're mm-hmm. actually, we have a food drive and, and actually a holiday wow. drive as a mutual aid program that we are going to be hosting on Martin Luther King Day, January mm-hmm. 18th of this upcoming year. And so we're actually doing a lot more, not only in speaking, because, you know, conversation and discussion is necessary, Right for for anything in life but action and creating actionable items things that we can actually do that will help our communities and help strengthen the bonds between people i think that's something that we're also working on doing as well bro this has been an awesome conversation if i had a daughter i would give her to you but i don't so until then (laughs) now this is an awesome conversation that you have honestly you have inspired me so much Literally, I mean, I just wish I was doing half of what you were doing when I was that age. And I continue to be, you serve as an inspiration to me, literally, seriously. I don't want to kind of give you a big head, but honestly, this has been an insightful conversation. And I'm glad that we've become connected. If one of the best things of Clubhouse, I'd say, is that I've got to have you on my podcast. So, guys, you are listening to The Malcolm Effect. Please like, comment, subscribe, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify. Tyler, I'm definitely going to have you on again in the future if you would uh, agree to come on. Hope it's been yes. an interesting discussion. I know it has been for me. And my listeners, please, you're gonna, I'll, I'll post Tyler's socials in the description. Until next time, take care.